0: of Matthew, and today we are in the third lesson of the Gospel of Matthew that deals with the birth of Christ, and we're in chapter 1, and we are beginning today at verse 18, that's Matthew 1.18. Now I'm going to read part of the verse. Matthew 1:18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now the one thing I want you to notice is the word Christ there is mentioned at the end of verse 17. It's mentioned at the end of verse 16. And it's mentioned in verse 1. In 18 verses, the word Christ or Messiah, that's what the word Christ means, is mentioned four times. So this is all about Jesus' birth, but... It's about Jesus' birth in relationship to him being the Messiah of Israel. The Jews believed that God was going to send a messenger that they called Messiah, who was going to overthrow the Roman government and set up the kingdom of God on earth. So what you have here is the genealogy of Jesus, and this genealogy basically proves that he is the Messiah. <clears throat> so, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Messiah was as followed. Now one commentator, a man by the name of Rudolf Schnackenberg, how do you like that name? A German theologian, New Testament scholar, says that verse 18 is an extended footnote of verse 16. Now what in the world does he mean by that? He says it's an explanatory footnote to verse 16. Now I just finished writing a book and in my book I would write a statement and then at the end of that statement I put a footnote. And then you would go down to the bottom of the page and you'd look at the footnote and I expanded upon that statement. I may have written another ten sentences about what I put in the body of the page. An extended footnote. So, for example, I might have said, Jesus is the Messiah, and I have a footnote. And then you look down at the footnote, and it says, Messiah means uh, the leader of Israel who's going to set up the kingdom of God. And I would explain that term. Okay. So I liked what this man said when he said verse 18 is an extended footnote to verse 16. So let's look back at verse 16 and see what it says. It says, Jacob begot Joseph. Now watch that. The husband of Mary. Jacob begot Joseph, verse 16, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ or Messiah. Now what's interesting about that verse is the wording. Look at the wording there in verse 16. Joseph, the husband of Mary. That's very strange language in the genealogy. You won't find that kind of language in verses 1 through the, the, the rest of the genealogy. Nowhere does it say, Abraham, the husband of Sarah. Nowhere does it say, you know David, the husband of Bathsheba. That's very strange language. Even when women are mentioned in the genealogy, it never says, the man is the husband of. What it says is, that the man begot somebody. For example, in verse 2, it says, Abraham begot Isaac. And then, in verse 3, for example, a woman's mentioned. See, Tamar's mentioned in verse 3. Do you see her there? And her husband's Judah. Notice it doesn't say, Judah, husband of Tamar, does not It doesn't say that. But what it does say is, Judah begot Perez. And... When you look down at verse 16, it says, Joseph, the husband of Jesus, and guess what it doesn't say? Joseph begot. It doesn't say begot at all. In fact, look at the pronoun there in verse 16. The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Now that pronoun, whom, is a feminine pronoun. And it refers back to Mary. So what it says is, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom—that means Mary—was born Jesus. So therefore, Joseph is not the hus- not the father of Jesus. He begat nothing. He didn't begat Jesus. Mary had Jesus, who was called the Christ. So Jesus is born of Mary. And he's not begotten of Joseph. Now, how did that happen? How did that come about? Okay? Well, that's what verse 18 and onward explains. Here's the footnote, in the sense. Here's the explanation. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, since that was a very strange way of that happening, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child. Now, what are we what are the facts in verse 18? Fact number one Mary was pregnant. That's fact number one. Okay. Fact number two she was not pregnant by Joseph. It says, before they came together. It says she was pregnant while they were betrothed to each other. After Mary, his mother, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child. Now, in our society, we do not have betrothal. We have engagement. And engagement is different than betrothal. Two people get engaged, they agree to get married, but guess what? They can back out any time they want. And if you saw the Julia Roberts show, the movie years ago, Runaway Bride, remember that? She was engaged and she would run away. She didn't want to get married. And guess what? We all rooted for her. We were glad she didn't get into that crazy marriage. So what happens, though, is betrothal is something totally different. In betrothal, there was an elaborate legal ceremony. Usually, in Bible times, a man was betrothed to a woman, and uh, oftentimes that marriage was arranged when they were children, and then at a certain age, maybe when the girl was 14 and the man was maybe 20 or 21, something like that, or maybe even older, then they got betrothed. Unlike engagement, betrothal was binding upon the couple legally. Legally. And that betrothal period lasted for one year. And at the end of that year, they consummated the marriage physically. So, she was betrothed to Joseph. While she was not physically his wife, never had any physical relationships with him, she was legally his wife, and he was legally her husband, because you were legally husband and wife during the betrothal period, although you didn't have any physical relations. At the end of the year you had a ceremony and the marriage was consummated physically. But during this year there was no physical contact. What happened if one of the members violated the betrothal? In other words, they didn't stay faithful to their husband. They didn't stay faithful to their wife. They went off and had a, an adulterous relationship with someone. Look, let me show you what happened if uh, someone did that during the betrothal period, I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Very interesting. So you may have seen this before, but let me tell you, when you see it, it's, it, uh, it catches your interest immediately. Deuteronomy chapter 22. And when you get there, look at verse 23. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 23. Now here's what it says. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then they shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she didn't cry out in the city. She didn't say, rape! She didn't say, help! And the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, notice even though she's betrothed, she's still called a wife, although she never had any physical relationships with her husband. So you shall put away the evil among you. So what happens if... A young woman is betrothed to a man and she does not stay faithful to that man. She has a relationship with someone else. Maybe the guy entices her, tempts her, rapes her, doesn't matter what it is, and she doesn't say, Help! I'm a married woman, help! Then they both are stunned to death. Now, in Jesus' day, they were living under the Roman Empire The Roman government and the Roman government wouldn't let you stone each other. So, even though something like this would happen, they wouldn't stone them. Okay? Let me show you another passage which is very interesting. Look over 24, Deuteronomy 24. What happens if a wife cheated on her husband? Okay? In other words, she was involved in it. Wasn't forced upon her. Look at verse, chapter 24 and verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, he shall write her a certificate of divorce. Put it in her hand and send her out of his house. So what you have here is if a woman maybe committed some sort of sexual act with another man, the man would write a letter of divorce. Now what you have in the Jesus' story birth story if you go back to Matthew chapter 1 is Mary is pregnant during the betrothal period I don't think she said help did she? did she cry rape, rape, help no she's pregnant during the betrothal period and Joseph is not the father that much we know how do we know that? This verse 18 says what? Before they came together. So here's a girl who's legally bound to be married to this man in one year and she's pregnant by somebody else. Now the text goes on and says this at the end of verse 18. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know this is a miraculous birth. It's a miraculous conception at this point, not a miraculous birth. A miraculous conception. She is is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that explains verse 16. How Jesus was born of Mary and not begotten by Joseph. There's your footnote. So this is a miraculous event that Matthew explains in verse 18. But guess what? Joseph doesn't know that. All he knows is this girl's pregnant and he didn't get her pregnant. Therefore, he assumes she's pregnant by what? Another man. See? And that's what you need to understand. That's what makes this story so fascinating. So look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband... Being a just man, a righteous man, a good man. And skip down to the verb was. Was minded to put her away. And <clears throat> That means he was going to divorce her. He was going to write the letter of divorce. Her. Now notice he's called a just man. And this just man is going to divorce this woman. It shows you that there are grounds for divorce. Joseph knows those grounds. And this is one of them. And being a righteous man, he has the right. According to Deuteronomy. To divorce this woman. Because he feels betrayed. Now what we don't know is how he found out about the marriage. Or about the pregnancy. We know from other gospels that she went to Elizabeth and told Elizabeth she was pregnant. Maybe she's starting to show Maybe we're, you know, she's, she's, she's three months pregnant and she's starting to look like something. He says, "What's going on with you?" And she said, "Well, I'm pregnant." Or maybe he said, "What's going on with you?" And she said, "I'm pregnant." And he said, "Well, who's the father?" And she said, "The Holy Spirit." Or maybe she came forth and said, "The Holy Spirit came upon me, and suddenly, look, I'm pregnant." We don't know how he found out, but one thing we know is he doesn't believe it. If she said Holy Spirit, he said holy cow. You know, I know that much. Either way, either way, I don't care whether she said Holy Spirit or not, either way, he assumes she has committed adultery. Look, I knew a girl who got pregnant once. And she said, She didn't know how she got pregnant. Well, I knew how she got pregnant. And I didn't believe a word she said. I figured she was just lying. If Mary said, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what do you think Joseph would think? You're lying. No one gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Who ever heard of such a thing? So, Joseph, even though he's a just man and he's a good man, he's a righteous man, he's not buying that story. And so what he decides to do is to divorce her, but he's not only a just man, he's a compassionate man. He loves this girl, and so it says, in verse 19, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example of her, he didn't want to just embarrass her in front of everybody. He was minded to put her away privately or secretly. Let's keep this low key. Maybe she can go to an aunt's house and you know, in another town and live for the next six months. Remember when girls used to do that? You got pregnant and suddenly uh, you didn't... Well, in my neighborhood at least, I knew that there were a couple of girls that went and visited their aunts for an extended period of time, went and lived with their grandparents. I, they, I was just told they wouldn't to live in another city. I was just a kid. I didn't know what was going on. But everyone else knew what was going on. She was pregnant. Now, what's very interesting is that word in verse... Nineteen Minded. You see that? He was minded to put her away. He was thinking about this matter. He said, what should I do? And he's, he's thinking of all these options. And uh, he comes to somewhat of a conclusion. He said, how can I handle this situation? And he's, he's leaning, he's mindful, leaning toward divorcing her in a quiet way. Okay? But he decides to sleep on it. You know, you don't want to make a rash decision. So he said, well, I'm going to sleep on this thing tomorrow. I'm going to make my final decision. And while he's asleep, God changes his mind. Changes his plans. Look at verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, and that word behold should grab your attention. While he thought on these things, look, behold, an angel. So that's how Matthew's telling the story. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Notice how he addresses Joseph. Son of David. calls Joseph son of David. Have you ever seen that phrase before in the genealogy? You saw it up in verse 1 where Jesus Christ is called the son of David. Uh, Joseph also has a lineage with David. And therefore he also is an offspring of King David. David is in his lineage. And here's what he says in verse 12. Do not be afraid to take Mary your wife. These are the instructions. Don't be afraid to consummate this marriage. Don't, don't be afraid to get, go to the knuckstack beyond betrothal and marry her. Now, why do you think the angel would have to say, do not be afraid to take Mary your wife? you're going to learn this is how you learn to interpret a text now, it's the common sense isn't it? why would he say don't be afraid to take Mary your wife because he is afraid to take Mary's <laughs> wife he gets married to uh, this gal and he says this is my wife You know, we're not in the betrothal I had the official ceremony now we're married the rumors are going to fly the rumors are going to fly and what are the options in these rumors he impregnated her during the betrothal period. That's never happened to me before, has it? A lot of people get, in our society, get pregnant during the engagement period, and then they just go out and they get married. They don't think anything of it. In those days, it will tell you. It would ruin your reputation. So he's, he's, he's considered that option. He's been mindful of all the options. He's been thinking on this and that. He sort of put that one out of his mind. He said, man, I won't want to do that. that. The rumors are going to fly. And, you know, they're going to say, I'm the dad. <laughs> I violated her purity. Or she had an adulterous relationship. And I'm taking her into my house. But anyway, there's going to be a stigma. And uh, he does not want to do that. In fact, as late as the second century A.D., there were rumors still afloat that Jesus was an illegitimate child of Mary and some Roman soldier. A man by the name of Celsus. You ever heard of Celsius? Celsus wrote a book called On True Doctrine. He was not a Christian. and He was trying to determine what is true and what's not true and he writes a book and he he says, well, how about this virgin birth story that we have back 150 years ago? Is that true? And his conclusion was, no, the virgin birth isn't true. Christian just made that up to cover up this woman's pregnancy before she got married. So he just rejected the virgin birth outright, uh, thinking it was just the cover-up. So the angel says, look, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Now look what else he says. Because, he gives a reason, in. Verse 20, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing. Now, if you woke up from a dream and you discovered that your girlfriend was pregnant or the girl you were engaged to was pregnant and she said Holy Ghost and you said Holy Cow and then you're trying to figure out what to do. I think I'm going to break this engagement but I'm going to sleep on it. And while you're asleep, you have a dream. And in this dream, an angel appears and says, "Hey, she's right. It's from the Holy Spirit. The pregnant. What would you think? Bad pizza? I mean, what? I'm not going to believe that story. Are you? But you see, the people of Israel, God's people, understood very clearly that God spoke in dreams. Now, we just wave our arm and think, well, he doesn't do that anymore. Well, maybe he does it more than you think. And you're just not listening. (laughs) You say bad pizza. He is convinced that this is a message from God. That indeed this is a miraculous birth. And also, let me tell you, the Romans believed in miraculous births as well. They had all kinds of myths that the gods came down and had relations with women and produced great heroes in their society. In fact... In uh, the book The Twelve Caesars by Suetonius who was a Roman historian he tells of uh, the birth of Augustus Caesar Caesar's the emperor of the Roman Empire when Jesus was born and uh, he says that Caesar's mother Adia went to the temple of Apollo at midnight for a worship service and she fell asleep and while she was asleep, a mystical serpent came and impregnated her. And when she woke up, there was a mark on her body, and she wondered, what was that? And nine months later, Augustus Caesar was born. He became emperor of Rome. That was in 43 BC. And this man is now emperor when Jesus was born. So miraculous stories were afloat about birth. Now those were myths. Serpents impregnating women. Uh, This is not like this. This simply says that this birth is from God. Now look at the result in verse 21. And the angel said, And she shall bring forth a son. I love that. Look what the angel says to Joseph. The result. She shall bring forth a son. He announces the gender of the baby two centuries before, or 2,000 years before there were sonograms. Look at that. Now that's how you can test whether something's true. If the baby's born and it's a girl, you know that was a bad pizza. But Now I know Dr. Kane. I know the tricks that these doctors have. girl's pregnant and they say, it's going to be a boy. They know they're 50-50. And if they're right, the girl remembers the prophecy. And if they're wrong, she forgets it because she has a baby and she's happy. So, but angels, this angel knows that this baby is a boy and actually names him. Look, says, you shall name him Jesus. Uh, Hebrew, Yeshua. Or Joshua, which means uh, Jehovah is salvation. You shall name him Jehovah is salvation. Jesus, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> so, this baby is born... Miraculously, through some process of God, for the purpose of being the Messiah, the Christ, who will save his people from their sins. Now, listen very carefully. His people means Israel. This is natural deliverance, national deliverance. Israel is under the bondage of Rome. Israel has been under the bondage of Babylon, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Alexander the Great, the Greeks, you know, all these different Assyrians, now Rome, and the Messiah is going to come and he's going to deliver the nation of Israel, he's going to redeem them, okay? So it's more of a national deliverance here than a personal deliverance. Now we get in on it. And our sins are forgiven just as well. But the purpose of the Messiah was not that you would be saved. The purpose of the Messiah was that God would set up His kingdom on earth, and the kingdom of David would be restored, and you get to get in. On that. And I've heard these statements: if you were the only person in the whole world, Jesus would have died on the cross for you. Well, it sounds good, uh, and I would say maybe that's true. But that's not His purpose for coming. What was His purpose for coming? that Israel would be delivered. God has established a new covenant with Israel through the death of Messiah. And you get to get in on it. He would save Israel from their sins, the nation from its sins of unbelief and rebellion and not trusting God, uh, going along with the other nations, buying into their worldview, uh, accepting their idolatry. Israel needed to be cleansed, and that's what Messiah was going to do. Now, Matthew gives his own comment in verse 22. He's told the story up until that time. Now he gives a commentary or an explanation. Look what he says. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, meaning the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, And they shall call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, or God is with us. So he's saying, all this happened as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now that Old Testament prophecy, you know, is Isaiah 7.14, and we're going to look at that in depth next week. But basically, in Isaiah 7.14, what you have is the prophet Isaiah speaks to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is having trouble trusting the Lord. And what he wants to do is he wants to trust other armies. He wants to form alliances with other armies. To trust the arm of the flesh rather than the Lord. And Isaiah says, trust the Lord. And, it, and you can trust Him. And God will give you a sign proving you will trust Him. There will be a child born. And when this child's born, uh, you will realize that you can just trust God and trust Him alone. And that's what that prophecy is about. Matthew takes it, and he says, guess what? Another child's going to be born of a virgin. And that is a sign that you can trust God. See? Uh, that God hasn't forsaken Israel. Israel's forsaken God, but guess what? God hasn't forsaken Israel, and a child's going to be born, you're naming Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. He hasn't forsaken Israel. He has a plan for Israel. He plans to redeem them. And this is a sign that you can trust God. Just believe in him. And that was the problem that Israel had after Jesus was born. And even when he became a man and began to minister, they couldn't believe that this was God's plan. Only a few believed. So now what we have is Joseph's obedience in verse 24. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife. Despite the cost, despite the ridicule, despite the rumors that are going to fly, he obeys the command of the Lord. And that probably means he cut the betrothal short and he just went into the marriage ceremony and he married her. And verse 25 says, And he did not know her. He had no physical relationships with Mary even though they were living under the same roof. Until she brought forth her firstborn son. And he, that's Joseph, obeying the angel, called his name Jesus. So that explains verse 16, how Jesus could have been born of Mary without Joseph begetting him. That's sort of an extended footnote. Now the amazing thing as I think upon this passage is that Joseph died before he ever saw Jesus redeem Israel. We believe that Joseph Joseph probably died before Jesus was 21, 25 years old because he does not appear in Jesus' life during Jesus' earthly ministry from the age of 30 to 33. The assumption is that that Joseph has died. Joseph obeys The words of God's messenger, the angel. And never sees the result of it. Except the child is born. Mary, on the other hand, sees it all. She's there when Jesus died. She sees the resurrection. And she's there on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls. And God starts to restore uh, the Jews and the Gentiles unto himself. So... For me, Joseph, this week, as I've been studying this passage, for me, uh, Joseph is a hero. Here's a man who does something without ever seeing the results, in a sense. He doesn't see the big picture. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and he was raised and he proclaimed that all authority had been given to him in heaven and earth, and God was starting to restore the kingdom through Jesus. And Jesus ascends, and then Mary's in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit falls. I bet Mary said, I sure wish Joseph could be here to see this. But he wasn't. Now, one day he'll be resurrected, and uh, he'll be part of this great kingdom when it comes on earth. But sometimes I think what we get out of this is that we must do the hard things, the costly things, the things that other people will not understand because it's the right thing to do. And uh, we may not benefit from it. We may not see the outcome in our lifetime. Now think of Matthew's audience. This is written maybe 60 years after the fact, 50 years after the fact. Matthew's audience reads this, and guess what they're saying to themselves? We too are facing ridicule because we've sided with Christ. Our Jewish relatives and friends are rejecting us. Our Roman Gentile friends don't understand us. But we're going to count the cost. And we're going to stand with Christ and we're going to be obedient to Christ. Because that's what Joseph did. He counted the cost. And he did what was right. And therefore God accepts us. We can trust God in this thing. Even though all of our other friends reject us, we we believe that God accepts us. G. Campbell Morgan was a great Bible teacher uh, during the first half of the 20th century. I mean, an amazing Bible teacher. He's written commentaries left and right. He was from England, but he came to the United States and he did a lot of Bible conferences. And he was a young man and he was, went before the church to be ordained. And they turned him down. They didn't ordain him. Guy became one of the greatest Bible teachers in the 20th century. They turned down his ordination. And he wrote a letter to his dad. And he said, Dad, they turned me down. I'm devastated. And his father wrote back one sentence rejected by man, accepted by God. Amen. Joseph and Mary, as a result of this, are rejected by everybody around them they are accepted by God. And let me tell you, that's what we need to do. Keep our eyes on God, knowing that He accepts us because we are obedient to His Word. Next week, we're going to look at that verse in verse 23. Behold the virgin shall be with child. And we'll try to figure out what that means. Then there'll be Christmas, and then after Christmas, we'll deal with the wise men who come after the birth of Jesus. Okay? Let's Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you that there are lessons that we can learn, lessons of obedience. Help us to realize that we must always be counting the cost. Help us to realize that even when we have our plans fixed, you can change our plans by revealing your will for us. There's so much in this passage, Lord, that we need to apply to our own situation. Help us to realize, Lord, how we need to accept others that you accept. Even when they seem to be out of touch with the reality. Help us to embrace those people that you embrace. Oh Lord, may this Christmas message be true to us and apply to our lives this Christmas season. In Christ's name, amen.